0: Greetings. We hope you enjoy this podcast of a Science for the Public program. If you'd like to see the video of this program, just search the title on our website under the Archives tab at the top of the homepage, www.scienceforthepublic.org. Good evening. I'm Yvonne, Staff for Science for the Public, and I welcome you to our Contemporary Science Issues and Innovations Program. Tonight we hear why our planet depends so much on the health of its oceans. Our guest Amala Mahadevan is a senior scientist in physical oceanography at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. She's an expert on the complex physical, chemical, and biological aspects of the ocean. She also leads research and expeditions in ocean dynamics. As a matter of fact, she's getting ready for an expedition very soon. And she has also developed models that predict and explain these complex ocean processes. Dr. Mahadevan appeared on this program in 2015 to demonstrate mechanics of phytoplankton blooms in the oceans, which are important in the absorption of the atmospheric CO2. And we are so delighted and honored to welcome Dr. Mahadevan back again. Welcome. Thank you and I would like to start if we could with just a little background I think that most of us think the oceans are just out there and that there are not necessarily systems dynamics mm-hmm. that we need to know about and you're the expert in the dynamics could you give us a little background about how oceans work
1: Yeah. so the oceans are um you know, hold an enormous amount of water. 97% of the Earth's water is in the oceans. What we see on land is just a very minuscule amount, and uh, they are constantly in motion. So the ocean is uh, forced by the winds. The winds cause the currents, and the currents are caused by a combination of processes. One is that the winds put mechanical energy into the oceans, Uh And the other factor is that you have the continents and the shape of the basins that constrain the flow and create boundaries. Uh, The third thing is that you have differences in density Uh of the water and those differences in density also play out as differences in pressure. So when you have light water versus more dense water sitting next to each other, that leads to currents or jets in the oceans. And furthermore, importantly the oceans are on a rotating planet Uh and the dynamics is Uh very much affected by the fact that the planet is rotating because we are on the rotating planet viewing everything in that rotating frame. Uh, I see. And so because we are viewing it in the rotating frame there is the effect of rotation that we see keeps turning things you know to the right in the northern hemisphere, left in the southern hemisphere. Right. And that's what shapes the currents and the oceans are not addressed. I mean, if you look at a forest and you go and look at the trees, you come back and you measure the same place, the same tree will be there. But if you go and look at the oceans, you measure one part of the oceans today, you come back tomorrow, that water is gone, it's moved away, yes. and you have other water. So it's a challenging environment to work in, but also very interesting because everything is in motion.
0: All the time, all the time. So there's a physics to this yes, process, absolutely. right? You mentioned pressure. What about like temperature differences in the different areas of the planet, does that affect? this these processes to
1: yeah so the pressure in the ocean is set by differences in sea level Uh which might occur for example because of the wind blowing and then you have a continental boundary so for example if the wind blows and it moves water away from the continental boundary it can pile up at the other continental boundary so that's one way in which you generate pressure differences and you also can generate pressure differences when you have differences in density of the water, which come from temperature and salinity. So uh-huh. the two factors that control the density of seawater are temperature and salinity. Um, I would say, in a large fraction of the ocean, it's temperature that dictates the density. But in places where you have a lot of freshwater runoff, or when the water is very cold, like in the high latitudes, the Arctic and Antarctic yeah, Ocean, right? Um, you get the effects of salinity being more important on the density. Oh, I see.
0: So it depends on where you are exactly. and temperature. So there are multiple facets each time That's to consider. Right. Yes. In terms of these currents, we hear a lot about this. We're hearing a lot about temperature, salinity, um, and the currents that we kind of depend on Mm -hmm. uh, for as far as a lot of ecosystems and so on. Could you give us some idea about how these currents work, these major things like the conveyor belt and what happens there?
1: So um, the surface ocean, as I said, was driven, is driven by the wind, and it has a circulation. And um, each of the hemispheres has gyres, or closed uh-huh. currents. So if you look at the northern hemisphere, we have boundary currents, which go up the coast. Yeah. And they're called western boundary currents because these currents get intensified. For example, the Kuroshio is one of them in the Pacific, and in the Atlantic, we have the Gulf Stream, yeah. and those boundary currents then go up the coast, and they break away from the coast, yeah. and they form, they go across the Atlantic. For example, the Gulf yeah. Stream then goes across the Atlantic to Europe, and then it forms a closed kind of gyre-like circulation. That's called the subtropical gyre. And okay. then you have another gyre, which is called the subpolar gyre, which kind of meets that one and forms a closed circulation in the northern uh, north of the subtropical gyre. Similarly, in the southern ocean, southern hemisphere, you would have similar gyres. And each basin has those gyres, but the gyres form intense currents, mm-hmm. most um, prominent ones being on the western margins. But in other regions too, you have these currents which form a very complex network of branching out, and they form instabilities, so the current is not a straight. Flow. It starts mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, meander mm-hmm. and it breaks off into eddies and swirling motion. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the flow field from above, which now we can do using satellites mm-hmm, and also using models, you'll see that these currents break away and form a lot of swirling motion or eddies. Okay. And so one of the things that's very classic about the ocean is the swirling or vorticity, as we call, which is the rotation, rotating motion of Okay. That. Those currents are less uh, intense as you go deeper. Um, they're most, uh, they're strongest at the surface. Uh-huh. You do get deep currents, but they are uh, not at the same speeds as the surface currents or the surface flows. So there's a strong vertical gradient in the upper part okay. of the flow. All right. And there's also a very strong change with density. So the surface is obviously lighter because the less dense water would be more buoyant and stay at the surface and the ocean is very layered in density and once you're away from that surface layer which actually gets <laughs> well mixed <laughs> by the wind then the interior of the ocean is not as really fairly quiescent in the terms of it's not yeah, mixed right t- right, right t- in three dimensions right, it's, it's right. horizontally moving oh, I this see, way. I and see. the flow follows la- uh, the layers of constant density so the flow moves on what we call isopycnals, which are layers of constant density, and you don't really mix things across layers of density okay. very easily. Let me ask you,
0: you know, we hear a great deal about like the conveyor belt, mm-hmm. for instance, up the yes. American coast and so on, but, but these things are apparently really significant for maintaining the health of the oceans, generally, certainly the ecosystems. What does that mean? How does that work? How does that kind of a, Mm -hmm. are are there many conveyor belts or uh, and is that the same principle?
1: yeah, so the conveyor belt, you know people framed this I think this word was fra- framed by an oceanographer called Wally Broker and some time ago. Oh, yeah. but some people have kind of pushed back a little bit on the term because it's not like one conveyor belt. Yeah, it is yeah, made sure. up of lots uh, of currents okay. and it has it's associated with an over a very slow overturning circulation. Okay. so if you look at the North Atlantic, there are specific regions in the world's ocean where the water becomes dense and starts to sink. Yes. So the North Atlantic, the high latitudes in the North Atlantic, are one such region. They're a region of deep water formation. Right. And the water there in the winter, it's very salty, that water. And when it starts to cool, it's also salty. It becomes denser. And that water being denser starts to sink and form a deeper, come down as a deeper layer in the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. That flow, which is deep, is very, very slow. It takes a long time for that circulation. And then that water is thought to rise in the in the oceans, and it's not known exactly where because it's yeah. not, that's why we're afraid to call it a conveyor belt I because it's not Newer one branch of rising. just, right, it's much has more to, diffuse. Yes, in fact, it's raised some interesting questions as to how does that water come back up? I see. Or what are the mixing processes? Or where does it okay. come up? All right. There's a gradual upwelling at the equator, and then that water e- spreads polewards. Yeah. Again, in these currents, one of them being the Gulf Stream, right. but there are other motions by which eddies and it's a very complex flow. Right. So in the Northern Hemisphere, it goes nor- northward, those, that flow in the Southern Hemisphere, s- southward on the whole, transporting heat from the tropics towards the poles. And that's very important because the Earth receives more incoming solar radiation at the tropics uh-huh. right. on average. Right, right. Heat has to be distributed uh-huh, to the I poles, see, I and see. so that distribution of heat occurs both in the atmosphere and the ocean. The atmospheric eddies oh, transport heat, interesting. and the ocean currents and eddies transport heat. Right, so that
0: is that is really important for stability for the planet. I take it, right? Yes.
1: So we think that during glacial times, the last glacial about yeah. twenty thousand years ago, we think that this poleward transport of heat was less or cut off, yeah, yeah. and that the conveyor belt or the overturning, it's called now the meridional overturning yeah. circulation, was weaker, and so that transport of heat was weaker, and that allowed the ice caps to form on, right. on the poles. Yeah.
0: And now, with and, the pole melting,
1: especially the Arctic yes, region. Yes, so right now, there's, we really don't know how the meridional overturning circulation wow, is changing. I see. And... There are a number of conjectures uh, with the ice melting in the Arctic. Yeah. The surface ocean is becoming fresher. If it becomes fresher, the thinking is that maybe we don't see the same rate of deep water formation, and we may uh-huh. slow that. But if you were to slow it, would we change the transport of heat to the poles? Yeah. At the same time, the, the Oceans are warming, and the region that's warming the most is, in fact, the Arctic Ocean, the northern hemisphere, and the northern latitudes. It's warming the most because of the ice feedback. So without any ice, the ice is retreating. Every year we have less and less ice and less and less multi-layer ice in the Arctic. And ice is white. It reflects heat. The oceans are dark. They absorb heat. So there are... A These lot effects of are competing exactly yes. at um, one time. Yeah, and so the oceans might warm, and if they they are warming rather fastest in the in at the high latitudes. Yes, and um, and so we don't quite know how that would change the meridional overturning circulation. And there are some measurements that are ongoing where people are trying to estimate that, but the record is not long enough for us to make. I understand
0: yeah. you don't have a
1: historical exactly. thing to yes. measure
0: that against. And is there a concern that this it slows down this process where the warmer comes up and then goes under and, you know, creates this sort of conveyor, even if it is diffuse, that do, is this a potential destabilizing mechanism in the world's oceans? I think a number of like uh, certain fish migrations depend on this, but I'm not sure that and yeah. that it slows these things down considerably.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's really hard to, because it's not one current. Yes, I understand. It's hard to say what's, um, you know. Right. So you have to integrate over many motions to try and say what is the meridional overturning circulation. That's
0: really interesting because what we see in the general media with this, it's one sort of line and it goes under and stuff. And what you're saying is we know better now that this is sort of dated. A, a dated model of that. Uh, the it's a conveyor. simplified it's, model, exactly, yeah. and that it is in fact more complex. Yeah. But also that it takes some time to study these things, and we don't have a full reckoning of this. That's what, right. What's yeah. going to happen? Yes. Uh, about this.
1: Because the feedbacks are so many in the ocean, in sort of the oceans and Earth system. You know, ice feedbacks, albedo right. feedbacks. Salt plays a role as to whether you might form deep water or not, yes, you know, dense I water. See. Yes, I uh, yes. The dense overturning circulation depends on what the salinity is, what the heat loss right. is. The winds matter because the winds come into play. Right. And so... Um, I think it's quite complex to say. It is. This it's and, a complex you know,
0: system, system period, yes, yeah. I just have to ask it because we deal with people who are highly specialized all the time and everybody in say oceans or water everybody is studying a slice of yes. something and in so many fields you need a lot of minds together That's anymore, right, yeah. uh combined to get to something but in your opinion is there a, like a reorientation to deal with complex phenomena like this because this is extremely complex mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. you're outlining it yeah Do, like in terms of training young people to go into these fields are they looking at things your perspective is complex you know your background is so yeah i
1: I think students are now much more multifaceted than what we were you know trained trained to be before and um, models have improved a lot you can do a lot with computational models the observations have improved a lot because we have a lot of autonomous instruments in the ocean which are sending data back to us and our ability to get data from satellites has improved. Yes. Um, The thing that we don't see very much of a... Upward curve on is the funding because you know, and I the know, budgets kind of so stay and flat. Just and just at
0: this time when you really need that's it. Right. And does it take like long range studies? This is a problem yes. in many fields. Yes, that's right. You get grants for three or four years, but you need 20. That's right. <laughs> so Especially,
1: yeah. you know, long term time series really yeah. help to yes. try to document what kind of changes are there, right. but also you can, have, need to. Could, Baseline measurements, so yes. trying to get measurements everywhere in the oceans is also important. Right. So it's very, very under sampled, the oceans, as you can imagine. Ah, because right. we're so vast. It's vast. And stuff, it's really right. vast, right? It's 72% of the Earth's surface exactly. is covered by the oceans. And with, all these, often, changes, yes, yeah. with all these changes. And going at one time and making one measurement doesn't tell you how no, it is there tomorrow ever, because right. it's a different. It, exactly. One. You cannot go exactly. back to the same water mass or the same place and expect the same water to be sitting there, so. Right.
0: I wanna come back to this business of the equipment that you have mm-hmm. now at hand, but before that, what does it mean to destabilize? What will happen if the oceans are destabilized? And I imagine there are a number of ways that can happen, the salinity, the temperature, mm. uh, all of that, but what will happen to the planet if? What can we take? Um,
1: yeah, so, you know, uh, certain things would always be, be stable in the sense that yeah. there's always going to be lighter water at the surface yes. and denser water at depth. right? So now when you warm the surface oceans, then you have more light water at the surface yes. and and dense water at the depth. So the density difference between the surface ocean and the deeper ocean increases that is in fact adding stability to the oceans. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. In the vertical. So there's different kinds of stability. Right, right. There's so many kinds of stability. But if you add, increase the density gradient in the vertical, then one of the concerns is that you won't be able to upwell nutrients mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. easily because uh, now there's. Because the nutrients are, yeah, right. are down below. Right. So uh, that's one kind of uh, possible effect that as you warm the surface right. oceans, Will our phytoplankton production. Exactly, which is the basis there, right. Um, Another kind of thing which you might depend on is this, as you mentioned, you have to form deep water somewhere, or dense water somewhere for it to sink and overturn. And so we don't know whether we will maintain the same rates of dense water formation for this, keep up this meridional overturning circulation at the same rate, or we would change that rate by actually warming the Arctic Ocean or the northern, um, the high-latitude ocean, essentially. So that's one concern. And um, another would be that as you change the gradient from the equator to the pole, the temperature gradient, because the poles are warming faster than the equator, then the the horizontal density gradient also differs, changes. And um, we don't know what the effect of that is. Typically, the larger, the horizontal density gradient, the more scope for instabilities or eddies. Okay. So the higher the density gradient in the horizontal, from between pole and equator, we think you will have more eddies and more heat will be transported to the pole. So this is a sort of a... Um, a negative uh, a yes. po- a feedback. Yes. So there's some things which have a positive feedback, right, like right, right and some things which have a negative feedback right. on trying to correct the system.
0: Okay. So this general okay. heating of the ocean and the general buildup of CO2 are those mechanisms that they watch very carefully That because are those like major destabilizers? Or,
1: um, yes. The, or does it depend uh, on where? Stabilizers or de- stabilizers depending on how you look at it. Yeah. So the oceans are warming. Uh, yes. uh, you know, almost by a degree they're warmed on average, right. uh, the surface ocean. And um, when people talk about global warming, I think people don't understand that where, you know, people look around and say, but it's all right, it's still cold, you weather confusing yes. the which which weather. Is very different, right. Um, because most of that heat of global warming, ninety seven percent of that heat is in the oceans. And so people are trying to estimate how much heat has gone into the oceans in the last you know, few decades. Right. And there's a number of new estimates that have come out, and they all agree um, to some you know, fairly well in the sense that there uh, is a lot of heat that the oceans have acquired. So the atmosphere, on the other hand, doesn't have the heat capacity of water. It's air. Yes. And so the ocean has 1,000 times more heat than the atmosphere and it's the oceans that are warming. That, and that's going to what's changing our climate, right? Yes. Or that's what okay. And it
0: doesn't dissipate that easily. Is that the idea, that it doesn't reverse well, uh, so easily? The mm-hmm.
1: reason the whole planet is warming is that we have more CO2, yeah, which is acting right. like as a greenhouse gas. Exactly. And so you have to raise the, the Earth's temperature to come into equilibrium would have to be higher to radiate out to space yes. the same amount of heat that it's receiving. OK. And, and that's why the entire planet, you know, that's the greenhouse effect, is going to raise its temperature, but most where is that heat? That heat right. is all in the oceans. Right. Um,
0: as somebody dealing with this on multiple levels and stuff, are you concerned about this or is, are we being too overly concerned about the direction of the climate change with this?
1: Oh, no. I mean, there's climate change is seen everywhere and everywhere, right, right, especially right, right. in the oceans. You know, yes. uh, the region, one of the regions that's warming the fastest is this region off our coast here yes. in Boston, yes. in the northeast. It's the right. fastest warming region. If you look at it spatially, um, I mean, there's certainly no It's The concern is that we're not not concerned. This is the big concern for me. Oh, like, yeah, you mean like the, the general, the governments and y- things yes, are not yeah. acting yeah. Uh, like that? I mean, it's the biggest problem or the biggest issue that we're going to be faced with, that humanity is going to be well, faced with. And that with.
0: is that the oceanographers, people in your line of work, do take this very seriously or oh, of course, definitely concerned yes, yes. about it and but the question is the, how to get it studied more, and yes. how to get yeah. it, how to get the governments really to pay yeah. attention to these problems. That's right. Yeah. Technically, is it reversible still?
1: Um, so when you say climate uh, I mean, change,
0: no, I, I meant specifically the oceans, the warming of the oceans. For instance, are we in a position if we put our minds to it, if there were a policy, could they? slow this down or whatever?
1: Yeah. So, you know, if we stop producing more CO2, I mean, the rate at which we're putting it out is increasing. Right. And if okay. we stop producing it, then we would, you know, try to arrest that. Uh, right. But so we are, you know, so we would try to... It make, makes a huge difference what trajectory we take from now into okay. the next 25, that's 30 what I years. Was kind yeah. of A small change in our behavior could cause a huge change up ahead because it's a right. question of whether this... Trajectory goes up like this yes. or like this, yes. and so they all diverge. And so whether you see a two-degree change or a three-degree right. change or a four-degree right. change right. is all based on our behavior. Right, but in the it next depends years, on. Yeah people making a policy That's and right. then
0: following through on it i'd like to go ask about this wonderful the the, the way you study these things now the way they the we see these things probably you know bobbed up and down in the oceans oh, and yeah. stuff and people can go and check them periodically and and so on but you mentioned satellites equipment in the oceans and apparently, this is very sophisticated. Can you give us some examples? Yeah,
1: so with satellites, you can measure the sea surface height or the topography of the sea surface. Yeah. And those satellites, by measuring the height of the sea surface, so of course, there's all kinds of effects in there. And they, if you remove the effects of waves and things, then you get the pressure. The height of the sea surface is telling you where you have high pressure and where you have low pressure. Uh-huh. And so <clears throat> based on that, you can get a picture of what the surface currents are, Um, not at very high resolution, but at... But it's still a lot better than... Over, you know, degrees, latitude and longitude, you can get a picture of the currents and and the circulation at the surface of the ocean. Yes. Um, You can also look at sea surface temperature from space. So we have different kinds of instruments to look at sea surface temperature, and so we can monitor that and look at changes uh, from one, Of course, from one season to another, from one place to another, and that data is available at fairly high resolution, as much as a kilometer resolution. And you can also look at the color of the ocean surface. So we have something called ocean color satellites, which are looking at, um, um, essentially can tell you, give you ideas of what the chlorophyll is, for example, ah, yes, or right, the, what, yeah. what's being scattered yes, back from the yes, ocean. right. So you right. can estimate. You know, again, looking at the surface, so you don't can't look at the layers which are very deep, but you can try to estimate what the productivity, the primary productivity of the ocean is, based on some of these satellite products. They all have caveats, but uh, we also have one that tells us the salinity now. Uh, So so, this is just satellites. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, uh, people are working on other satellites to tell us, uh, the, the, the velocity of the water, uh, you know, better. Right, and right, so there's a right. number of things which are sort of in the works, um, that satellite. And then people have to go and make measurements in situ it, right. in the water. Yeah. In fact, those are used also to calibrate the satellites. Satellite right. measurements are always uh, an course, estimate. Yes. Yeah. And so we send ships out to sea. But ships can only make a few measurements, so we have uh, a lot of autonomous instruments. One of the most successful programs is one called the Argo program, which yeah. floats. So floats are things which are uh, can be subsurface yes. in the ocean. There's floats are about you know like big long cylinders, yes. this height, right. and they are progr- programmed these instruments to go up and down in the ocean. So. They park themselves typically at the thousand meters depth, and they're freely drifting. They come up to the surface, and they measure in the vertical Ah, a profile of temperature and salinity. And they come to the surface and beam that data back to satellite, which we pick up. That's uh, that's really incredible. So now there are thousands of these floats which are seeded the ocean, um, and we're getting this data back in real time. And different countries have cooperated in putting these out.
0: Right two things about you you're about to go on an expedition is that to check these kinds of things or to do some measurements like what
1: yeah so the expedition we're going on is to look at specifically the processes that occur at a front in the ocean a front is where you have waters of two different densities meeting and so we are going to the Mediterranean where we have Atlantic water coming in and the salty Mediterranean water which has a much higher density, yeah. and that boundary between different density waters is very dynamic. Ah, so we have so a very strong flow or a jet or a current yes, there. I see. That very strong current has instabilities on it, and we are looking to see how things might move up or down yeah. along those density surfaces of that current. So we will be going and trying to make measurements of these at much finer scales than we can see from satellite by actually being there and making the measurements and following drifting things in the water and measuring behind the ship as we're going along. And then coming back and putting these observations into models, we try to understand the processes. Right, that lead and to
0: the- that's the other thing, is that you develop quite a model. Would you tell us a little bit, and how models work, why, because I th- take it that they are able to accommodate these complexities that you have to deal with. That's uh, right,
1: yeah. So... What models are doing is essentially they're solving the partial differential equations that describe fluid flow. Okay. They're called the Navier-Stokes equations. And we solve those for the motion of the fluid. They yeah. describe those equations, describe, they're essentially Newton's laws, which tell us how something will move and if a force is applied or to it. So when there's differences in pressure, that's one kind of force that you might have. You might have wind driving the surface ocean, you might have it warmer, colder. And so you prescribe these inputs to the model, which is the forcing, and the model is solving those equations. The way we do it is we take the equations and we say at every place in the ocean this equation should be satisfied, and it tells us how that the the momentum will change essentially the velocity of the water will change with time
0: okay so it predicts that that's that's an right thing yes so okay. it predicts
1: we do that by taking our fluid in this case the ocean we do the same for the atmosphere they're very similar both these mm-hmm. kinds of models and you break it into chunks so you break it by essentially putting a grid over it uh, that's one way to do it so essentially you're solving at every place or location and every location is connected to the adjoining location, and you're updating the solution in time. So these models require a lot of computational power with more and more, better, better, you know, better computers. We're getting better and better um, models for the atmosphere and the ocean and better you models. you have to for sort a. of
0: put together, don't you, I That's guess, right. down, the, yeah. down, down yeah. the line. And right. so there are
1: many flavors of these models. There are a right. number of models that exist, and students nowadays can download these and use them. Oh that's fabulous, that's, uh, isn't it? Yes, uh, that's that right. is fabulous. And you can have models that couple the atmosphere and the ocean together so that you don't have to prescribe the atmosphere of the ocean and ocean to the atmosphere. Okay. So that's kind of the state of the art in in modeling
0: right um the these so these you're able to accommodate in these models these changes that in flow but also maybe these other conditions like the salinity the that all all the heat all of that mm. sort of thing and take a look
1: yes the models need boundary conditions Yes, the surface is yes. one boundary yes i understand and yeah. they need initial conditions you start yeah. with something and you yeah. keep integrating in time yeah yeah and so uh, you know, either people do the entire globe, and what I do is I try to concentrate on some specific region yeah, or some right, process right, right. and study a particular process, which is motivated by what we saw in the ocean. Yeah,
0: yeah. right. And uh, and take it from there. You could you mentioned that you needed longer range studies and so on. What would be a good length for things that would really Study the very changing dynamics of the ocean the risk kinds of factors now What would be like a good timeline? like 20 years or 10 years, we may not have that much time. But, that's uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, I, th- I would say a few decades, you know, when you have a long time series of 20 or 30 years, right. then you're able we to say had something. F-
0: in the past, that, that, well, for some, not for look, this equipment and so on. That's right.
1: I mean, there's more and better and better measurements. Yes. And we people have reconstructed time series with, put, for example, sea level. Yeah, we have time right. gauge data that right. goes back a few hundred years. Yeah, right. But then we have better data and better data. Right, and so right, people right, have right. tried to uh, combine those records to come up with records of sea level rise right. at certain locations where we have long time series. Right.
0: Right. One of the things I was trying to get at was that this stuff is really complex. That the when scientists talk about things like climate change and stuff, we need a picture in our heads of something very dynamic, very complicated, and that you build these models to try to address that that's right complexity as best as possible but right. these may be subject to uh, correction or adjustment over time as you get new data
1: that's and correct so yeah on. so the data that we get feeds into the model right and so observations are very crucial in making the models better or the predictions yes. better yeah and telling us whether our models are correct but also providing the right Data right for the models right
0: yeah. and what an exciting field it is, and yeah. today just just one more thing here in ter- the students are training you have a you have a, an ability to look at the physics the chemistry the bio everything there and it seems reasonable that one has to mm-hmm. have that capacity do you and you do see this in terms of students coming up today and also the ability to make models, presumably.
1: Uh, yes. I mean, you know, a lot depends on the person. I, right. You know, you might, one might have a student who has an interest in right. both physics and biology. Right, so
0: but not everybody not does. Not everybody right. does. Right. And, right. for
1: example, the, the uh, expedition we're just going on yes. next week, you know, we are studying the physics of that current yes. in the Mediterranean but one of my students is very interested in understanding the phytoplankton community well, it's a big thing. structure. right? And how is that shaped by this very strong front, which separates the Mediterranean water and Atlantic water. Yeah. And what we're seeing is that these are different phytoplankton communities. There are so many species, you know.
0: Ah, I didn't
1: realize that. Of phytoplankton right. out right. there. Yeah. And each one has a different effect on how they take up carbon right. and where it goes and what they do in the whole uh, food webs. Right. So it, trying to understand the biology and how it's related to the physics is really important. Uh, I think. That's
0: yeah. very interesting because that's a b- absolute basis of life, I guess. That's right. And also if we want
1: to make a longer term prediction of what happens to the carbon in the oceans, the yes. atmosphere, it's very difficult to do that without... we making a prediction of what will happen to the phytoplankton and the whole right. ecosystem. Right. Um, and we don't really know that. For example, will the community change when the ocean is warmer? Will you evolve new species? Yeah, I was going to say, can we it adapt you, yeah, fast will enough? will it adapt? Will you have new species? Will right. the size structure of the right. phytoplankton change? That will affect how much carbon sinks right. through that biomass into the deep oceans. so The uptake of carbon by the oceans so the oceans are taking up about a third of the co2 that we put out now yeah. and that depends very much on what those uh, phytoplankton communities are doing as well as the as well as the whole ecosystem that's feeding right. on the phytoplankton right so you know we'd really difficult for us to tell we don't understand the biology as well and how it's going to relate to the physics right right and certainly
0: the adaptability of these
1: very basic
0: species and stuff how how fast they can adapt if they can adapt where they can adapt much
1: diversity in the ocean in terms of life the biodiversity in the ocean is immense and we just you know, basically just at the surface of of trying to understand
0: What an exciting time to be studying this. A little depressing sometimes, perhaps, but at least it's very helpful for the public, though, for us to know that it is very complex Mm -hmm. and that you don't have all the answers yet. And so I do hope you get funding and long-term studies out there that that is absolutely essential, right. Thank you so much for this Thank wonderful you. information. It was very interesting, and I wish you the best with your expedition. It's going to be great fun because you said you're going to the Mediterranean. That sounds. That just sounds That's fine. That's right, yeah, yeah. So
1: I, I really appreciate you doing this because I think uh, something that people don't realize is how connected the oceans are with our life. You know, yes. half the oxygen we breathe right. comes from the ocean, yeah. and people don't understand, um, most people don't think, Right. about how dynamic the ocean is and how the physics, the biology, the chemistry is right. coupled yeah. right. and then how it impacts us and our climate right. and the world we live in. The
0: is. other thing is that the, I, the media could do a better job maybe of presenting this if people will listen (laughs) that's that's been a bit of a problem but I I was cheered with this this reaction of young people this huge worldwide demonstration for of climate urgency coming from the kids for pity's sake that maybe this will also increase the I wouldn't want to say curiosity but the demand for good information that people can understand how this is put together and why we have to pay attention today N- yes, to this. Yeah. So, you so, do some
1: very important work. <laughs>
0: thank you. You do too. We, we really appreciate your efforts. Thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. Good thank luck you. on your expedition. Thank you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of a Science for the Public event. Please check out our website, www.scienceforthepublic.org, for videos of all our events. Lists of upcoming events are Weekly Sci News Roundup Newsletter and Timely Science Information.